these are just natural abilities yes. that programming can conceal and generations of ignoring something or of you know pushing something away can make it harder to reach or it can give you a thick skin around some of these abilities and yet with this work it takes vulnerability the only way it works is when you can allow yourself to be like water and take to it Christopher Rhodes is a magical human being who has been studying and practicing the arts of mysticism, energy healing, and clairvoyant work for over 20 years. He's a teacher of psychic development and has his own private practice where he sees clients. I've personally had the privilege of experiencing his work firsthand, and today I'm so excited that we get to dive into discussing the true value of energy work and psychic or intuitive development. It's not about having someone answer questions about your life, but rather the expansive nature of healing that goes beyond cognitive processing. We talk about growing up Catholic, risking losing your community when you decide to take up the call to be a healer, and what psychic school is like, and our advice to up-and-coming healers. Hi, I'm Jasmine Russell, and this is Depth Work, a holistic mental health podcast. This is a space for those who love to dive into the underbelly, to revel in the mystery, question assumptions about what's normal, play in the both and, and honor the wide range of human emotion. As a complex trauma survivor, holistic counselor, and co-founder of a mental health training institute, I've learned that there is immense wisdom in our pain, and that what we call crazy is just what we are not yet willing to understand and explore. I'm so glad that you're here. So let's dive in. Christopher, welcome to the Duckburg podcast. Thank you. It's good to see you. It's good to yes. be here. Yeah, it's so good to see you. So I'm super curious as a as an amazing psychic and healer and mystic and just wonderful person. I'm always curious about the the origin of these spiritual gifts. Did you always know that you were a healer, a mystic, clairvoyant? I didn't always know that I was. Um, I was actually raised in a Catholic household and I was very involved with the church, um, even more so than my own family was. I, I really took to it and I studied underneath some of the priests and the other faculty members of the church. I went to public school, but I was so invested that I would carry the Bible with me to school and, you know, read it in my spare time. And I just felt very connected to a lot of the spiritual aspect of it. And in that, in those teachings, my understanding was that being psychic was wrong. Yeah. Uh, my understanding was that, you know, dabbling into anything outside of that work or that method was like a taboo or something not to do. Um, and my mother's the one that really brought us to the church. And at the same time, she would tell me all about astrology. And since I was maybe two or three years old, my, my son is in Pisces. And so she would take me swimming and tell me about being a fish and being a Pisces. And she's a cancer son. So we had a connection there with the water. Then maybe around like 10 years old or 12 years old, our conversation started uh, moving into reincarnation. Mm -hmm. And she told me her big secret that she's Catholic, but she believes in reincarnation. And so I could start to see how you could still be a good Christian, <laughs> have these thoughts and have these kind of out of bounds or out of lines um, beliefs. And then it got to a point where I was 14 and I had to leave. I, I got to a point where I saw the discrepancies and I parted ways with the church and I kept my spirituality. And I actually used to 
have this belief that there were only a certain amount of psychics in the world at any given time. Mm -hmm. I thought that in the whole world, there's maybe like five to 10. And then when they would pass away, there'd be another five to 10 that would show up. I was like, there's no way it's this common because I grew up in the era of the Latoya Jackson, Dionne Warwick, Psychic Friends Networks. (laughs) And so I actually was infatuated with psychic practice and psychic work. And I did go deeper into my astrology studies at 14 also. So I took that spiritual aspect and then I just went into these other modalities and started to learn as much as I could. And I had been having psychic experiences the entire time, but because of the influence of my, of the Catholic upbringing, I couldn't name it and I couldn't place it. And I had reoccurring dreams that were telling me things. I had a lot of intuition, a lot of visions, and I didn't really know how to place it or what to call it. So I didn't, I couldn't categorize it as that. So I couldn't identify myself that way. And then when I started my, my real deep training in my late twenties, I started reflecting back on my childhood and all of the experiences and seeing how I'd been psychic the whole time, trying to suppress it, trying to conceal it and trying to work around it in order to appear like my siblings or like my classmates and other people my age. And so um, I didn't know and I didn't want to know. I hoped and I wanted, but I thought it was so out of reach for me. Then I just found that it wasn't so out of reach and it's, it's, it's been there the whole time. And to some extent, I think that everyone has, not to some extent, I I do believe that on some level, these are just natural abilities that programming can conceal and generations of ignoring something or of, you know, pushing something away can make it harder to reach or it can give you a thick skin around some of these abilities. But it's not that, that there's people that are without. I think that they, it exists on some level for everyone. Yeah, I completely yeah. agree. Yeah. I don't know if you know this, but I also grew up Catholic. And I, I also really? yes, with um with a ton of mystical experiences at a really early age, but all that got, you know, suppressed under all the yes. Catholic guilt and the uh, you know, yes. people telling you that you're the devil if you engage in any <laughs> any of these mystical things. And uh-huh. um, but the interesting part is that as I got older and I stepped away from the church, when you go back, when you go back into, you know, like a Sunday mass or something, you start to realize, oh my God, like this is mysticism. There's there's rituals, people in in white robes carrying candles doing you know? <laughs> the ritual of it all, like, oh my goodness, antiques, gold chalices. Yes, the gowns going down to their ankles and their feet. Like there's so much, the processions and the songs and and the candles. Yeah, yeah, there's so much ritual in it. And the more I look, it's like that work is scarier than the work that I do. Yes, no, it's really true. I have the same feeling. So yeah. at, a, at a young age, you know, I find that a lot of people who do this work pretty early on wind up having maybe a, a spiritual crisis or, or a breaking point or something, or even if it's not one moment, a set of challenges that come along with these mystical experiences, perhaps because, you know, we don't necessarily always feel understood by the people around us, but also just because it can be challenging in and of itself to have these kinds of intense spiritual experiences. So did you ever have moments like that or how did you 
navigate even just the, the challenges of being a really sensitive person? So um, I can think back to very early memories of having challenges with this. So I'm the last of seven in my family, my parents, and then um, six older siblings, and then me. And my nickname for the longest I can remember is um, Crybaby Chris. I, I guess I used to cry all the time. I was always extremely sensitive in that way. And it got to a point where I'd be playing with other kids my age and I would be the first one to start crying or the first one to get upset about something. And so my mother's go-to phrase would be, oh, you all know better, Chris is sensitive. Mm-hmm. And at first that felt really helpful and I always felt like she was you know, backing me up. But of course it got to a point where that was a taunt, not from her, but from the other kids of taunting the fact that my mother is defending me by putting that label on me. So it became, it, it started off as helpful and then it became something that I would cringe at, you know, being called that or being considered sensitive. And it was out of my control. I mean, there I have five older sisters and an older brother. And with all of these people in the house, there's a lot of drama. There's a lot of things that are going on. And I was, you know, feeling through all of their things that they were going through. I have sisters that are, you know, 12, 15, 18 years older than me. They're going through things that I can't even comprehend as a young child, but I'm feeling emotionally all of these these events transpiring. And I didn't have a life experience to place it with. So that's my first, my earliest memory of this. And then I remember listening to music and being able to understand these adult relationships in like R&B music and romantic music and going through these like divorce feelings at like six years old. <laughs> and like just feeling through all of this energy material. And then as my parents started going through different things, of course, that took a toll on me as well. And so I kind of really felt like a black sheep um, and that carried over into my school life. And so I was really misunderstood. And I, I believe that my answer to that or my coping mechanism was resorting to my headspace. So my heart space just got so full and so depleted from all the crying that I just became super head heavy. So I went into the intellectual in school and I just leaned into that. And that is not my, it's a skill I have, but it's not my most authentic nature. And so it was lopsided. It wasn't the greatest expression because I still didn't really fit with that emphasis. Um, And it was really more of an invalidation on my heart and my biggest skill or or strength, I believe. Mm -hmm. And so it affected my self-identity, my self-image and self-esteem, which carries over into the beginnings of adult life. And I really fit myself well into some groups of friends. And I felt like I could recreate some family dynamics there. And it really fit and it worked for a while. I would say that luckily and gratefully, I didn't have a major moment of crisis right before going into the deeper trainings and studies. But it was more of a a crisis of what am I doing? Everything on paper looks great. I had a lot of friends. I was working a lot, making good money, going on vacation, spending a lot of time, but I felt empty and nothing really felt good or great. And I was about 27 and I was like, this doesn't make any sense. And and so there was like a, a spiritual crisis there of doing everything and feeling like nothing was happening. And there's just, um, it's a really uncomfortable feeling. And that caused me to find a space to learn how to meditate. 
and to learn how to begin to repair the place that's been the most damaged, I guess. Yeah, there are also some traumas that have come along with my understanding of myself under the guise of how others perceived me and my not belonging or fitting in. And those were tough. They can be very impactful for a long time, yeah. uh, especially when it's, when it's dealing with sensitivities and the way that a sensitive can be a sponge for the wrong kind of energies. <laughs> it takes that sometimes to understand what you have and to understand what you've allowed to get affected. I believe that the healing is worth it, um, but it's definitely not easy. However, it does give you some context to apply the work that you study. What was it for you that really, that gave you, I mean, it's the, the call, like answering the call to become a healer and to say, F it, I don't care what other people think I'm doing this. Yeah. It's a really difficult decision to make. And I think I've heard a lot of people say, and myself included, there's this huge fear around losing your whole community, losing the people around you by answering this call. But in some ways, I think we also can get so soul sick, which seems a bit of, of what you were describing, that yes. the pain of staying, you know, in this kind of quote unquote normal life and world mm-hmm. feels worse or can even, you know, affect your, your body, your heart, your mind, your soul in so many ways feels worse than the discomfort of yes. going against the grain. So yes. what was it for you that maybe perhaps forced you to answer that call or, or mm-hmm. what was it that really did it? Yeah, I love this question. And um, as I think about it, I, I feel like I did it in stages because I did handle a lot of pressure. So being the last of seven, there was a lot of expectation. And when I started doing really well in school, there was even more expectation. And all of the things that, you know, that didn't happen before me, that's on my plate now. And so I, as I said, I kind of like leaned into the headspace, which was not the natural, the most natural place for me. So it kind of in a way, I left my body behind and I kind of just like focused in on um, the things I could control, which is not my body. <laughs> and in my, at that time, it wasn't right after high school. Well, actually, let me go back a little bit. I was an exchange student in Turkey for my junior year of high school. And that, that was a big game changer for me. I got away from everything that I knew for an entire year. I didn't see my family. I didn't see my friends or schoolmates or anything in a very foreign place. And a lot of things transpired there that helped me to shake the image and the roles I'd been kind of stuck in. So I came back and my college plan, my college career, my professional future was out the window and I was done. And I decided to shatter the image that they had set up for me. It was a coping mechanism to become that anyway. And I decided to dance. And so I, um, I became, I had been studying ballet since I was 14. And I went into dancing with a company in Chicago at 18, um, fresh out of high school and started dancing. And I took a massage therapy course. So I started doing the healing work as a complement to dance. And that was my kind of segue into that field without even knowing it. And so from the high level perspective, I think that the way that this happened was I 
got very involved in massage therapy and dancing, kind of like balancing each other out, something that was for me and something that was for others. And I was waiting tables and I kind of burned myself out and burned myself out to a place where it would be justifiable to say, I need some me time. <laughs> so by 27, 10 years of doing this, I was like, okay, now I need something else. And I think that that was where I had already shattered enough of the image of all that pressure. I got to a place where I was in limbo. My peers were, you know, on a different track. They were in their professional job straight out of college. And here I am in some different space um, in my late 20s. And I think, and then that's where I decided to drop that track altogether and carve something else out. I didn't actually know studying meditation would lead to what it led to. It was more of I needed healing. And for the first time, I stopped giving and started receiving. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I remember, um, you know, I, after I was doing massage for a while and I was getting some jobs at some really nice spas, I realized I didn't want to work on people who could necessarily afford a massage. I felt like the ones who really needed it couldn't afford it. So I worked um, waiting tables to be able to, you know, give massages for 20 bucks or 40 bucks to working class people. So I really just took it as far as I could in the, in the giving way to where I had nothing left to give. And I think that that may have just been the getting to empty so I can replenish with something different. Yeah, absolutely. So the massage, and then how did you get into psychic clairvoyant energy healing work? Those who are listening might be curious. I know you went to psychic school, right? I did too. And whenever I tell people I went to psychic ah. school, they're always like, what is that? Is that like Hogwarts? So what was it like for you? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I always used to daydream as a kid that there was a psychic school, that there's some school, some academy that existed somewhere in the world that did these things and that taught you how to astral project and do all these cool things. I knew it existed, but I didn't know where it was. So it was one night and I was on my computer and I was searching for something. I didn't know what I was looking for. I was like, I need something. Maybe I need to go see a new country. Maybe I need to go learn a new thing. Maybe I need to, I don't know what, I needed something. And I was searching and searching and searching. And then I came across the psychic school in Chicago. And I was like, what? Where did this come from? And I found the website. And of course, the website was defunct. It was there, it was a static page, and it couldn't take you anywhere. It had the image of the um, founder of the school and some information, but it was like a stagnant page. And I was like, of course, I'd find a dead end here. So I took that and I did some more research on the information I could find on that one page. And then I found out that I was living four blocks away from this school. Wow. It's a nondescript building. There's no signs on it. It's right behind an L platform. And so you would never see it. So I went to this school um, and I signed up for one of their student readings. So they have, they teach, you know, clairvoyance and people how to read. And I signed up for a student reading. I'll never forget. I walk in and they gave me a tour. It was like on the third floor of a building or second floor. And um, they gave me this tour and I just see all of these people sitting around with their eyes closed and they were in meditation. And there was one person that stood out to me and it was like a familiarity that wasn't from this lifetime. 
I was like, there's something familiar about this person. I've never met them before. I know that for sure. But there's something I felt familiar. I didn't think anything of it. They sit me down in a waiting room and then they call me into the room where the readers were. And I go in and I'm sitting right across from that person that I felt familiar with. That was the main reader. For one hour, these students unveiled my entire life. They just went right into my space and told me an entire story of my life. And I was floored. I couldn't believe it. This is where I decided to study meditation. The owner was there that day and asked me about my experience. And I was so excited. I was like bursting. And I was like, how do I become a part of this? How do I learn this? How do I get more? Signed up for a meditation class there. And it's a psychic development school. So that meditation class led to a healing class. Again, because of my experiences before and my relationship with myself at this point, I was a very eager student, but I didn't have any confidence in my abilities with the work. I thought that I was loving doing it and I loved practicing, but I didn't think I was good at it at all. I thought that maybe I would even become annoying <laughs> by being at the school too much or by, you know, being so excited. And after I took a couple of meditation classes, a couple of healing classes, they had longer, more thorough half-year trainings for clairvoyance. And so I signed up for one of those. And I actually didn't think I would pass the interview. I didn't think that they would even allow me to enroll. And I got in. I was surprised. I passed. I was surprised. And from there, I went into more trainings. And after about two years of study, the owner pulled me aside and said that he wanted to teach me how to teach. And he wanted me to teach for him. And I, I, I couldn't believe, I, I couldn't believe it. You know, when we talk about certain traumas around having these abilities young and the way that the world can handle that and the way that the world can treat you when you are, um, don't know what you're doing or when you are too open or you have a big heart or you're sensitive, it can damage your relationship with that part of you to where you won't want to see yourself excel there. Or it could, on some level, be a danger zone for you because you're opening yourself up to more vulnerability. And yet, with this work, it takes vulnerability. The only way it works is when you can allow yourself to be like water and take to it. The same way that water is a really great conduit for electricity, I feel that we can be that for a lot of this work in the energy. And so that's kind of how it happened. I didn't expect any of it. I didn't plan it or know what was happening but yeah it just kind of rolled into itself <laughs> I love yeah that. like now that you you've been doing this work for so many years you've taught so many students you've seen so many people as a healer what's your philosophy around energy work i think people tend to have a lot of different conceptions of what energy work or clairvoyant or psychic work means I think, you know, when you talked about the the channel, like 1-800-PSYCHIC, you know, people think, like, oh, I, I go to psychic to ask them, you know, when I'm going to fall in love or when I'm going to get this job or, you know, things like that. And I mean, that is maybe a, a tiny, <laughs> tiny part of it, but there's so much more. So how do you describe the real true value of this work to people? I think that it's a long conversation about what it can be and what it is. 
because we've come so far away from the natural flow of energy in our cultures and societies today, in my opinion, when I look at energy and energy work and psychic abilities, you know, my head goes to the cultures where they're doing the tea leaf readings, where, you know, it's some people that are sitting around, maybe they're elders and maybe they're a community. And every Sunday they, you know, they go around and they're doing some readings or it's someone with a palm and they're, you know, telling you about some lines and some things there. Or as simple as my mother used to make these charts of moon cycles for women, you know, and there's just, there's so many ways and it's so natural. It's so natural. It's so it used to be just a part of everyday life. You would have an amazing dream where you go to these extraordinary places and you'd wake up and you tell your friends and you would tell them about all these things that you did. And then they'll share where they went too. you know, that it was just a part of everyday life. And it was included in our experiences and it wasn't something that was so separate. And so when I look at, you know, the planets and the universe it's very mystical to me that there's these spheres that are hovering in space and rotate around each other. And there's a ball of fire in the middle, you know, like it's very fantastical, even like the most practical science-based aspects of our lives. And so I feel that the energy piece is behind everything. And what it really boils down to is the fact that we are energetic beings that can take form. We have the power to take form. And so we take form and we design a life with energy. I really look at a life as like a design or an art. You come in and you do your art for however long you're here and then you're gone and then you come back and you create something else. And so what I think of energy work, I believe that it is in tapping into your own innate abilities, your own energy and using the world as a canvas and applying it to what's here. And the work to me is more, has more to do with deprogramming, getting underneath it and tweaking your lifestyle and your energy towards more of your authentic self, your authentic intentions. I look at energy work as something that's been, that's been accessed in many different ancient cultures. It's been cultivated in so many different ways. Yeah, I think that in some way we're kind of doing it all the time. However, it's really different when you add intention to it. It's really different when you have a focus and when you are, when you study it. Yes, absolutely. I've had readings with you and part of what I really, really like about you in particular as a healer and a reader is that you have this wonderful way of being, I I think maybe this is very Piscean, (laughs) this wonderful way of creating a whole picture of what you see happening in and around someone's energy. It's very watery, metaphorical, so many symbols and symbolism. You create this whole image to describe in such nuanced, subtle ways, what someone is really experiencing or moving through at that point in their life. And what I love about that and what I love about energy work especially is that I think the the world of symbols, metaphors is our first language. You know, it's beyond the language that we currently have 
for describing, you know, what we're going through. We have psychological language, we have emotional language, we have logical language and biomedical language. And those to me are pretty insufficient for really describing what people are experiencing. And for me, as both a both a practitioner of and a receiver of energy work, that's one of the most powerful things to me. It gets you beyond the conscious mind and you can see and experience so much more. You can restory yourself. Absolutely. I absolutely agree with this. And I've never actually heard it worded this way. And I think you did it. It's you excellently described that the symbols are universal. And it speaks to such a deep aspect of our consciousness. And there's even an aspect of memory there. Even if you feel as if you're hearing it for the first time, there's an aspect of memory there. And to be honest, I don't come across many people who can, who can verbalize that difference of the space that it connects to and that kind of liberation, that part of you that gets seen on a deeper level, that gets freed up and then stimulated from it. And so thank you for, thank you for that, for saying that. But I also, the symbols um, are just, they're ancient and there's so much any energy in them. And I believe in the chakra system. I believe in the immortal part of us. I believe in the part of us that observes and that is watching us as we grow through these lifetimes. And these symbols in some ways are the constant similar to the sun being in the middle and the planets keep rotating around and around. And in a way we keep rotating around coming through these lifetimes, but those symbols can be constant. And so you have a control for you to mirror yourself off of, or to measure your growth and your transformation through experiences via these symbols. Thank you for, thank you for naming that and pointing that out. That's one of my favorite parts of the work is to get into these these spaces where I'm working with someone's energy and they're trusting me to look and to communicate with and to engage that part that you know so many of us conceal. And I love when I'm working with you, your energy, Jasmine, is so beautiful. It feels as if sometimes it's writing itself like poetry. <laughs> you have a grace with your movement of energy and it has a flow. I would say... There may be a lot of reasons for it, but I know that the work that you do and the energy, the work that you do has given you a level of grace with your own energy. That's very evident every time that we work together. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I know that another modality, and you do a lot of different things, um, past life work and clearings and aura readings. I didn't know until recently that you also do breath work. So I'm curious about your journey with breathwork and what you like about that modality too. Oh my goodness. So I, I love breathwork. I experienced breathwork for the first time, maybe about 10 years ago. And it was at a workshop I went to. It was very overwhelming experience, which told me, okay, I need this. <laughs> I was overwhelmed. I was physically overwhelmed, but I, I feel that like I cleared a lot of energy. So I, I experienced it and I, I knew that there was something there for me and I kind of put it on the side and I went back into the work that I am um, accustomed to doing. And then years later, I came across it again and um, I just felt a an urge for it and a calling to learn more 
and to experience more with it. Um, and I found a really incredible breathwork facilitator and teacher. And I took um, workshop with her weekend workshop and really fell in love with the work, fell in love with her approach. She works with a lot of indigenous modalities with the, with breath work. And there's a lot of ritual involved. There's ceremony involved, so much intention, a ton of heart, and there's a lot of realness to it, the way that she works. And so I did a training um, and she certified me. I, I went through and completed her training. Um, that was a couple of years ago now. And I've been doing breath work here locally where I am. And I'm on the brink of launching it online and offering it online. But I've been, you know, really doing the work here where I am with people in person, getting into it and facilitating. And it's just blown me away. I feel it's interesting how we can repeat some cycles and we can see some patterns in our lives. Clairvoyant work happens from the sixth chakra. It happens from the headspace. You know, it happens from up here. And as I said earlier, um, my coping mechanism for some early trauma was leaning into the headspace and kind of leaving the body behind. And I found that it's easy for that to happen with clairvoyant work as well. Yeah. You can get so heady. And like I said, I believe in the chakra system. And each chakra has a relevant and valid power. Each chakra has its own talents and abilities and ways of perception. And I sharpened the skill of clairvoyance and I carved out that space so well that I kind of lived there for a while. And then just as before, where I kind of, my, my anecdote for the headspace was to get into dance and get into the body. That's breath work for me. So I kind of like balance it out by like, let me get back into my body. And so the return to my body, going into the training, I actually realized that I hold my breath most of the time. All day, I'll go through breathing very shallow and then holding my breath for events, holding my breath, waiting for something to happen when I'm stressed, um, when I'm taking up too much space, I hold my breath. And so getting back into my body was a big renaissance for me, like a big return. And it opened up the abilities that I'd been working in a whole new way when you're doing it through your body that way. There's just another level of learning, developing, uncovering, healing, and celebrating in the body that I've found. Yeah, I was honored to be able to be on a panel for Breathe in Black earlier uh, a few months ago, which was a really great event conference online for um, for breathwork facilitators, breathwork enthusiasts, people in the world, people that are curious. And I'm looking forward to doing more with um, with breathwork this year coming up. I have some things in store and in mind, some collaborations and very excited about it. And I I really love combining the works together. I I think for me, it's really more, it's more about the and and less about the or. I like including and playing with the energy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Me too. And I love the way that you described breathwork as almost this balance 
to the clairvoyant work, I feel pretty similarly. Both when I, I facilitate breath work, I always, you know, there's always a bit of energy healing, you know, as I'm as I'm coaching someone through the breath work too. Because Absolutely. it opens up so much and you can see so much. People move so much energy through them. But also for myself, breath work has been one of the most heart-centering grounding things for me too. I get this question from clients quite a bit, especially people who are going through a spiritual awakening or starting to become aware of their intuitive gifts. How do you ground? How does one ground? Like, you know, just that question of, of how do I keep myself centered and grounded? I know that there's so many different ways. There's so many different things, but I guess my question for you is not so much, you know, what grounding practices or tools do you use? More, how do you think about grounding as a as a practitioner, as a healer, as someone who spends so much time in that sixth chakra? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I find grounding in a number of ways outside of you know meditation and actually working with the tools. One of the biggest ones for me, and I realized it early on in the work, grocery shopping. Yes. I love a produce section. Like grocery shopping is so grounding for me. I will go in with a cart and just walk sometimes for a while. I'll go there to get stuff, but like I need to like, you know, get in. And so I'll just like, you know, walk through some aisles just to kind of get into the space and to come down for whatever I've, you know, been going through. And then the process of gathering food, the process of, you know, I, of course I do go a bit to my headspace of like, envisioning recipes and envisioning what I'm going to make and then getting the things together. Cause I don't make lists for the grocery store. I just go in and I let myself be, that's one space that is safe for me to be the sponge. Mm -hmm. I let the food call me. I'm like, okay, I'm going to open up all my things to all of these things. And um, the grocery store is very grounding for me. There was a time a couple of years ago when we were wearing masks all the time and people weren't really you know, communicating very much in public spaces, which actually made the grocery experience even better for me because mm -hmm. then it was like, I could kind of like be in this like, you know, ninja mode <laughs> in the grocery store. Um, but also being by water, going on hikes and any way that I can walk in solitude in places where I don't need to engage can be grounding for me. I love walking. It could actually even be in city streets, but my preference is by the water, is on hiking trails. I love that. And being with, actually being with children is grounding for me. I became an uncle at three years old. So I was always around um, small children that I had to tend to growing up. And I think because of the emotional imbalance, being around children, they had a capacity to um, validate the emotional part and the spirited part in a way that didn't have to make sense. And um, for me, I think I found some play in that. And to this day, animals, small children, like I feel that it's grounding. And then also for me, music. I can make a playlist or just sit and put some music on. And um, it's very, very grounding for me. Yes. I love the way that you described just some of the very 
very basic everyday things. I think when people think about grounding in this kind of spiritual work, they think, oh, I have to, I have to do a whole self-care day. I have to take a bubble bath. I have to, you know, I have to do all these special things. Grounding, I think you're so right that it's like, you know, interactions with children, uh, very fundamental practices of picking what food you're then going to prepare and put into your body. Like yes. it's the very um small but joyful moments of life that we can make really special and that bring us here. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll also add cooking to that too, because I really love a slow process cooking. Like I love to chop. I love to prepare and like spend hours making something. I think that the idea that I'm feeding myself something or I'm kind of rewarding myself or I think I believe that when you feed yourself, you're telling yourself you want to live. It's like life affirming. And you're saying, yes, keep going. And so I feel in a roundabout way, it's a way to validate yourself. For me also, I like when, you, when you're speaking on this, it just reminded me that for a lot of sensitives and a lot of people, we can be in a mode of giving and doing for others. And so to go to that bubble bath, like you mentioned, to go to you know all the stuff that's about receiving it's hard to change gears so quickly. And so for me, like that walk or that grocery run or the cooking is a way to come down from the giving in order to begin to open up the space to receive. You know, kind of like a fan that's changing direction. It's going in one speed. It kind of has to slow down and come to a stop before it can go in the other direction. And I feel that, and I think that my way of grounding is to kind of come down from that mode of being. I can't jolt into me time, but it's more of like coming down time and then opening up space to then, you know, what am I going to do with the evening or what am I going to do with the afternoon? Yes. I love the way that you put that. And that's really what it does feel like energetically is like a little bit of a, a reversal of energy. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a different mode to put yourself in. Mm -hmm. um, be so hard for healers. What, what would you, maybe it's not advice, maybe it's more of an invitation, but what would be the, the biggest thing that you would love to say to new healers or young healers or people that are just getting into this work? Okay. Well, there's no right way to do this stuff. There's no hard lines with healing work. It is not something that was created, in my opinion. It's yep. something that was developed, modalities that were developed, that were shared, experimented with, made lots of mistakes, trial and error, passed along by hearsay, stories, storytelling, mythology. Um, and I feel that the answer is less outside and more inside. And I do believe that every person who is called to healing or called to this work. And I think on some level, everyone has something to add to it. I don't think that the story is over. I don't think that we've found everything. And I feel that it's still being shaped as we go. And what we need to heal is going to continue to change. And so I would say be easy on yourself and make lots of room for the mistakes and for some failures. And also leave plenty of room for the repercussions of the changes that you initiate. <laughs> because 
it will affect you in many unexpected ways. And um, I know I can relate, and I'm sure that you can relate as well, that you can do something that may seem insignificant, or it may seem like it was a last minute decision, and it can open up a whole world of gifts for you. It can open up a whole new world of rewards or of matching energies or of things that you've been wanting or manifesting for yourself. So leave room outside of how you are creating or how you are imagining that the work will affect you. Leave room for the unexpected. And there is a point where you are consciously and intentionally working and creating with the energy. And it gets to a point where you're not doing it so much from a conscious level and you're working from a deeper place. And that requires a level of trust. And so the most important relationship in this work, it's not about you and your teacher you and your discipline or you and your books or your clients, I would say it's you and yourself. The relationship with yourself sets a tone for all of the work. You're the vessel in a way. Um, You are the practitioner. You want to have access to your own spirit, your own energy in order to really do the work. I guess that's the advice I would give. Yeah. Yeah. Just not not being afraid to, yeah, to really let yourself go to some places that might feel like, oh, if I say this thing, maybe they're going to interpret it in a weird way, or I don't know if I should say this, I don't know if I should do that. You know, times where I've noticed a real shift happen for someone are the times where that, you know, that little nervousness came up for me of like, I don't know if this is right. I don't know if I'm making this up. Is this this in my head? Okay. But I trust it. I'm going to say it anyways. And then it's, it's so, yeah, things just catalyze from there. That's the breakthrough, isn't it? Yeah. It's like when you think, okay, this is may not be right. How are they going to react? That's their personal breakthrough. You are on the verge of breaking through some new territory with them. And yeah, our our go-to place is, I must be wrong. I must be taking this too far. I must be making this up. And typically it isn't. And the what I found is the thing that's covering it is what is made up. Mm-hmm. That's usually the lie, you know, that's the invalidation. And the invalidation can invalidate us. <laughs> And so, yeah, absolutely. And I think that you mentioned fear. And I I think that that's another really great point with this is it's not about avoiding the fears, but allowing yourself to see them. Yeah. And then taking your time. It might be jarring. It might be paralyzing. Have compassion for yourself. Take your time working through it looking at it, investigating it, and get as much help as you need on the way. That's another piece. It's just a lot of times we feel like we have to do it alone and we don't. Mm -hmm. And that's a big lesson I'm still learning is not to do it on your own or not to just do it alone. We really do need each other. But that mystic journey by nature is the one who seeks the loan, the one who seeks the more, the unknown, the mystery, or the God on their own. And so it can be hard for the mystic to do it in a group or to ask for support. But as far as advice to up-and-coming healers and energy workers, 
get the support when you when you need it, when you want it. And there's a lot of value in that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you currently mentor healers, right? So tell us more about that and about your other offerings and what you're excited about coming up. Yes. So the business is called Myphoria, and it's a space that I created. Is a, a space for energy work, a space for mysticism, a space for dreamers, um, and a space for just the work that I do. I currently offer past life readings, chakra tunings, standard readings, healings, um, astral style healings as well. And I do, I have, my history is more in teaching. So I spent a lot of the past 14, 15 years in teaching, um, teaching larger groups, teaching trainings, clairvoyant trainings, meditation classes, workshops, energy, healing modalities. And so I am offering at the time, at, right now I don't have any workshops on my calendar, but I'm going to be getting back into workshops this year. And in that, I've begun to offer mentorship. So one-on-one teaching and one-on-one training. And I'm really loving it. It's a, it's a big difference than working with the groups, but I really enjoy the intimacy. I feel that intimacy can be explored in so many different ways. I think it's very sacred. I think it's very powerful. And just from my own story and where I'm at, working intimately in this way really works for me. And I'm enjoying this version of it. So what I'm looking forward to is launching Breathwork Online working with individuals with breathwork online, working in group spaces online with breathwork. And I will be um, co-teaching in a cohort for breathwork coming up later this um, this spring. And I'll be talking about that on my social media, which I'm very, very, very not good at. <laughs> and yeah, hopefully incorporating more workshops this, this year coming up and just continuing the work. I will be editing down and changing up my offerings um, probably in the next month or so. But yeah, I'm, I'm still reeling from a lot of the impact of, of just doing the work. It's every, every single session changes me. Every mm-hmm. session brings more. And so the work is changing while I'm being consistent. The more consistent I am in the work, the more it changes the more it gives me and the more I change. And so it's creating a really nice flow that I'm enjoying. Yeah. Yeah. So people can find you on Instagram, on your website, anywhere else. So Instagram, the website, and those are the only two places at the moment. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely. Yes. I'll put all the links um, in the podcast description. And thank you, Jasmine. This was really amazing. I'm so happy that we got to have this discussion. Oh my gosh, this was so much fun. I feel even more connected with you. This was really a great experience. And thank you for being my first for a podcast. This is really, really, really cool. 
I am so grateful to you for being here. If you want to spend more time together, I have session openings for holistic counseling, breathwork, and energy work sessions. You can find all the information about those sessions on my website, jasminerussell.com, and it would completely make my day or probably my year if you left me a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts and let me know what you really liked, how it supported you, and what you're thinking about it. So if you have a question for me or you want to let me know what topics you want to hear more of on this podcast, send me an email and let me know. Until next time!